All right. Has it been a good day so far? I don't believe you. Has it been a good day so far? Okay. I believe you now. I believe you now. You know, I think uh, pretty much all of us are used to filling out those uh, standard forms when you go to a doctor or something like maybe the DMV and you have to fill out those applications about your information. And at the top of those applications, those papers, uh, it asks you to self-identify with what race you are. And it gives you options, you know, it says white, black, Hispanic or Latino, Asian. And uh, I fill out those forms like all of you, like I'm supposed to. But what I want to do every time is write in really big letters, human, with a big check mark. Because there's actually only one race. Human. That's it. That's it. There's the human race. And under that, each example of specific ethnicity that we all know about and and fall under the category of, each of those is really a beautiful expression of diversity, and it shows off the artistry and creativity of God. That's what each ethnicity does. Shows off the the artistry of God. And he is an amazing artist, wouldn't you say? There's no artist like him. He is the ultimate artist. And so we should celebrate that. We should celebrate the artistry and the creativity of our God by celebrating the diversity that's on display in the different ethnicity groups. We should seek to learn and to understand the different cultures and backgrounds that are different from us. We should seek to embrace those differences and learn from them and know that as we do that, we will all be better off. We'll have a a better picture of who we're supposed to be. Because the fact that there is one race does not mean the aspects of specific culture and heritage should just be ignored or erased. No, not at all. It's okay to embrace those things. We should embrace those things. We should embrace the uniqueness of different culture, of different ethnic groups. But along with that, it's important for the church to remember that as Christians, our primary identity has to be found in who we are in Christ. That has to transcend everything else. And we have to elevate unity within the body of Christ higher than we elevate ethnic diversity. So often we get that backwards and we get distracted. But church, Mount Vernon, Faith Baptist, the Church of Christ today... We have to keep pursuing that proper balance. Unity in Christ above anything else. Elevating the body of Christ above any other thing. That's what we have to keep out in front. The Apostle Paul talked quite a bit about racial tension within the early church. Because as a Jewish 
Christian that served as a missionary primarily focused on the Gentile world, he definitely had a lot of experience dealing with such issues. And whenever he addressed cultural or racial division with the church, he would always come back to what unifies the church and how important it is to be defined by that unity. Here's what he said about it in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And here's why. Here's why that's so important. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Now that doesn't give racism or segregation any ground to stand on, does it? Just totally erases it, destroys it. And as powerful as that passage is, nothing beats what Jesus himself said about unity in his high priestly prayer as recorded in John 17. That's where he prayed for all of his followers, you and me here today, those that came before us, those after us, and he asked his father, To make us all, you tell me, one. One with each other, one with him, and one with the Father. John 17, 20 and 21, Jesus says this, I pray not only for these, talking about his disciples, the original disciples that were there around him, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. That's you and me today. Yes, Jesus prayed for you, and he prayed for me 2,000 years ago when he was about to go to the cross for us. He prayed for us. And here's what he said. Here's what the desire of his heart before he gave his heart was. I pray not only for those, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. That's the picture of our unity. That's what our unity is supposed to picture. It's to shine a great big light on the unity that exists between Father and Son. That's the picture of the unity that we're supposed to have. Then he says this, may they also be in us, and here's the purpose of the unity. Do not miss this, church. Don't overlook this. This is the whole purpose behind the prayer for unity that Jesus gave to his Father. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. We need to understand, church, the unity Jesus prayed for us to have in John 17 
wasn't just a request to his father before going to the cross. It goes farther than that. It goes deeper. The unity that Jesus prayed for is a mandate for the entire church to maintain. It should be just as much a priority for us to carry out as the Great Commission. Because Jesus said in that high priestly prayer that a unified church will be what validates our message about who he is and why he came. In other words, if the church, Mount Vernon Baptist, Faith Baptist, if the church is weak on unity, it will be weak evangelistically. We can, we can have the gospel message down to a science. We can have every single statement right. We can know everything that should be said. We can have great programs and strategies that draw people in left and right. But if the church does not display to the world looking in on it that we are together, that we are unified, that we are not divided, then no matter how right our words may be, they will fall flat with the world outside. Because... They have enough division to last a lifetime. They see a lack of unity every day, all day long, in all their experiences. They need to see something different in us. If the church is weak on unity, it will be weak evangelistically. Oh, Faith Baptist. Oh, Mount Vernon Baptist. May it not be so with us. May our unity together as one body shine so brightly that people on the outside looking in have to wear sunglasses. May they not be able to help themselves and keep themselves from asking about what it is we have and how they can have it too. May what the Apostle John saw in his vision of heaven in Revelation 7, 9 through 10, be true of us here and now, today, and every day going forward. After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen? May that be our constant, collective cry, Church of Jesus Christ. My brother... Amen. Blessed be God, saints and friends. Amen. Everyone hear me okay? Yeah. I would like to earnestly thank Pastor Chesley as well as the Faith Baptist family for having us today. To our Mount Vernon church saints, God bless you. Thank you for attending. And to all friends and guests, may the Lord smile upon you with rich favor today and always.
Less than a year ago, in the late fall of 2017, I was in prayer for the vision and direction of Mount Vernon Church. The Holy Spirit spoke two words that resonated deeply in my heart, and those words were intentional integration. Martin Luther King Jr. famously noted that Sunday is the most segregated day of the week. And amidst all the political turmoil and social injustices depicted on the landscape before us, it seems to me, saints and friends, as though racism has revived itself in our nation in a way that we've not seen in decades. And yet it seems absurd to me that we should accuse the politicians or the policemen or even the fascist protesters, it seems absurd that we should accuse them of racial segregation if the church isn't doing much better. At least the world has the excuse of not having the Holy Ghost, but we don't have that excuse. And so we of Mount Vernon Church, a predominantly black assembly, have become more proactive in reaching across ethnic fences in order to fellowship more frequently and more fervently with our white brothers and sisters. Just over a month ago, the Lord spoke the name Chris Chesley into my heart. God said, call Pastor Chris and invite him to fellowship. So I began pondering the potential nature and timing of a collaborative event between us. Pastor Chris and I had met only once about two years ago, and we hadn't spoken since. Well, 24 hours after the Lord dropped his name in my spirit, my phone rang, unknown number. I answered, and the voice on the other end said, Pastor Damon, this is Pastor Chris Chesley. I'm wondering if you'd be interested in fellowshipping with us at Faith Baptist. And so here we are. And so here we are. And saints and friends, next to the salvation of sinners, I don't know of any hot button issue that's more urgent for the church right now than to make a firm and unified declaration on race relations. One civil rights pioneer said that the church should not be the master of the state, nor the servant of the state, but the conscience of the state. We are anointed to be the voice of morality and righteousness in this present evil world because God has no antidote for mankind other than the church for which Christ shed his blood. There are three aspects of racial rhetoric I'd like to highlight, which I believe to be relevant for 2018-19. And I do this in the hopes of of outlining this racial rhetoric and of speaking to this divisive dialogue to put it in its proper perspective. Those three aspects are the reality of racism, the ridiculousness of racism, and the remedy for racism. Now, ridiculousness is a word I checked. But even if it were not, I still would have used it because Mount Vernon will tell you I often formulate my own terminology straight out of Hamby Standard Dictionary. (laughs) Thank you very much. First, the reality of racism. 
I wish I could tell you that racism was merely a historical footnote that no longer permeates our culture. But if that were true, we wouldn't be having this conversation today. My first exposure to racism occurred as a small child when I myself was a victim of it. I grew up in the public housing tenements of East Beckley, which is about as close to the inner city projects as you'll find in Appalachia. I discovered as a kindergartner that racism is real, not only between races, but even within races, which means sometimes dark-skinned blacks don't like light-skinned blacks. Sometimes upscale whites can't stand trailer park whites. Even Navajo Native Americans be sometimes mean-mugging Cherokee Native Americans. My problem is that my father was Greek and my mother is black. So it became obvious that what, what is worse than being white or black is being mixed. Because if a black man is discriminated against by whites, he can find refuge in the black community. And if a white man is outcasted by blacks, he can take refuge in the white community. But where do you go when you're mixed? I grew up in a black neighborhood, but I attended an, a white elementary school. So in the hood, my nickname was half-breed, um, mulatto, and white boy. Yeah, growing up, they called me half-breed and mulatto and white boy. In other words, not one of us. But then I went to school, and I was the black kid and the black dude, and to certain elderly teachers, the colored child. In other words, not one of us. So in the daytime, I'm the black dude, and in the evening, I'm the white boy. I was connected to both sides, but rejected by both. Kind of like the Apostle Paul, who was too Hebrew to be embraced by Christians, and yet he was too Christian to be received by Hebrews. In my case, my skin was too fair for my mama's people, and my lips were too big for my daddy folk. So I often found myself as an isolated little fella, you know, but church, guess what? I have learned to thank God that I never fit in because not fitting in is the best way to stand out. And make no mistake, dark skinned black kids don't have an easy time in the hood either. Because the dark-skinned are often mocked and marginalized for having a tad bit more melanin than the rest of us. So this racism within races revealed to me that there is something more sinister beneath the surface of this epiphenomenon called racism. I later discovered and realized that our essential issue is not with race, it's with the sin of pride. See, it's pride because my pride requires me to find an angle on which I'm superior to you. Pride demands division and despises equality. Pride is so terrified of being less that it creates false distinctions to make itself more. Now, we understand that Satan is the father of pride. And Satan's design is to divide us, whether it be by race or class or party or denomination. 
Racism is simply the most convenient mechanism of separation and supremacy. But to be sure, even in the absence of ethnic differences, the pride of man will find a way to elevate himself above his neighbor. So if all of us are different colors, I have to say my color is superior to yours. But if all of us were brown, I'd have to say my shade of brown is holier than yours. But if all of us are the same shade of brown, then I would argue that my complexion is cosmetically creamier than yours, yeah. My freckles are more favorable and my pores are more excellently exfoliated. You see, you see, pride rejects equality in pursuit of elitism. This brings me to the ridiculousness of racism. Racism is ridiculous for infinite reasons, but I'll briefly mention just two. The first reason racism is ridiculous is common ancestry. We are all the progeny of one man and one woman. Everyone on this planet has to call Adam Grandpa and Eve Granny, so you may as well pass the potato salad and pose pretty for this family portrait. The word of God says in Acts 17, 26, that God has made from one blood all nations of men living on all the face of the earth common ancestry. And the second reason racism is ridiculous is mingled bloodlines. Brothers and sisters, you would be hard pressed to find a pure African or a pure Caucasian anywhere on God's green earth. Social globalization has intermingled the races so prolifically that no one is 100% white or black. Each of us is a genetic compilation of a diverse array of nationalities and bloodlines, which, ma which makes racism so absurd as to be abandoned. If you choose to hate anyone based only on skin color, you should go to Ancestry.com and discover that part of what you hate is running somewhere in your veins. The cultures are now overlapping so rapidly that I'm convinced, ladies and gentlemen, if this world turns another six or seven hundred years, there will be no more distinction between races. Everyone's complexion is going to be somewhere between almond peach and coconut beige. We will all look alike. Westchester University out of Pennsylvania has recently reported that white DNA and black DNA are 99.8% identical and only 0.02% different. So how ridiculous is it to claim superiority based on a 0.02% difference? Racism is preposterous. And yet, as ridiculous as racism is, we find that racism has also corrupted religion. Racism has corrupted religion to the degree that God himself has been labeled as white or black depending on who's preaching. 
American slave owners preached God was white, and they attempted to prove it by painting portraits of a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus. More recently, black factions have retaliated by portraying Jesus with dreadlocks and bulging biceps as their claim to divine superiority. But ladies and gentlemen, as far as I am concerned, any God who is small enough to be white or black is no God worth worshiping. Because the God that I serve is much bigger than any nation or tribe. The God that I serve is much greater than any group or gene pool. John the Apostle caught a glimpse of the God I serve. Thank you for that verse, Pastor Chesley. He caught a glimpse when he said, I saw in heaven a great multitude which no man could number of every nation, every kindred, every people, and every tribe. And they were shouting, hallelujah, salvation to our God, not your God and my God, but to our God who sits on the throne. You see, brothers and sisters, anyone who hates diversity would be miserable in heaven because God loves diversity so much. He created rainbows just to celebrate every color. And finally, the remedy for racism. I believe we have diagnosed the disease, but the diagnosis is incomplete until we present the prescription. Saints and friends, we must be fire extinguishers, not just fire alarms. Fire alarms shout about problems, but fire extinguishers solve problems. The remedy for racism is twofold. It's the love of God and the truth of God. We, the people of God, must love our neighbors regardless of color. And we, the people of truth, we must proactively condemn racism from our pulpits, in our Bible studies, in our youth ministries, on our jobs, and at our family dinners, and anywhere else that this dragon of division rears its ugly head. Because if we ignore it, If we ignore it, if we entertain it, and we indulge it, then our grandkids are going to be fighting the same Goliath that we failed to decapitate. I'm concerned today in these United States. I'm concerned because I see angry young black men who have become so disenchanted by racial tension in America that they are migrating from Christianity toward Judaic Afrocentrism. They have decided that black supremacy is the antidote to white supremacy. But to my Hebrew Israelite brothers, I implore you, don't become infected by the disease you want to cure. Because if we become racist, we lose our ability to criticize racism. We're saying that racism is okay as long as I'm the master and not the slave. But on the issue of race, ladies and gentlemen, I am much more Martin than Malcolm. Martin Luther King Jr. was not pro-black. I repeat, Martin Luther King Jr. was not pro-black. He was pro-equality. His mission was not to put the white man under his feet, but to see all men on equal footing under one altar before one throne, worshiping just one God. 
So in the spirit of Colossians chapter 3, we ought to put on the new man, which is made new in knowledge after the image of his maker, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, neither circumcised nor uncircumcised, no division between nation, no servants and no free men, but Christ is all and in all. So as a practical remedy to racism, I say to my African-American community, at some point, the modern black man has to stop holding the modern white man hostage to what his white ancestors did. There is not a white man living who owns a plantation or a slave. And to my European American community, I say you must understand that 400 years of brutal slavery cannot be undone by one emancipation proclamation, nor by throwing a few million dollars at a few running backs and rappers. Patience and persistence must be employed on all sides if we are to embody the virtues of our Savior. So in closing, I say we should not be colorblind. We should not be colorblind because being blind means that I fail to see the brilliance of your culture's beauty. I encourage us not to be color blind, but to be color inclusive, not just color inclusive, but color appreciative, not just color appreciative, but color celebratory. I want to celebrate the black person's ability to start the worship service with energy while celebrating the white person's ability to start the service on time. Because I have a dream myself. I have a dream myself, Faith Baptist. I have a dream that we would live up to the title of United States of America. I have a dream of living in a nation that puts country over party. I dream of worshiping in churches that put salvation over denomination and living in neighborhoods where neighbors wear no hoods. We have got a very long way to go, brothers and sisters, and so I thank all of you for joining us in this fight. The best way to fight hate speech is with better speech. May our Lord Jesus Christ shine on you, in you, and through you. Thank you for your time and attention. Always in love. God bless. All right, all right. So you can go ahead and sit down because I'm going to have you get up in just a second. So you can, you can rest. Um, what we've heard today is not my truth. It's not Damon's truth. It's the truth of God. It's the truth of his word. And it's the truth that is meant to be applied, not just listened to. And so in that spirit, we're going to go ahead and physically react and respond to what we've heard today, what we have shared with you today. And we're going to give ourselves a very visible reminder that our prayer would be that it would carry through and carry over 
into tomorrow and the day after, into your grocery store, into your neighborhood, into your place of employment, in the ball field, that the unity that we've been reminded of, that we've proclaimed, would be lived out, not just talked about. So to that end, Mount Vernon, Faith Baptist, we're asking you to stand up, like now, And we've got a pretty big space in here. We've got a a pretty nice-sized room. And what we are desiring to see happen is for every single one of us to just make a a circle or a a semi-circle, whatever shape you want to call it. We want to line up around the perimeter of this this auditorium and and maybe fill in some of the gaps if there's uh, not enough room to line around the, the perimeter. But we want everybody to join together hand in hand. Yeah, that's right. Actually hold someone's hand. We want you to join together hand in hand and we're going to be praying. Uh, my brother is going to start us off. I will follow. We want you to pray with us as we pray. And what we're going to do is we are committing to God that we want to be one church. That doesn't mean that you guys cease to be Mount Vernon. It doesn't mean we cease to be Faith Baptist. What it does mean is beyond all that, above all that, we are choosing to elevate the oneness of the church of Christ above all those other things. And we're committing to him to that, but we're also asking for his empowerment because the truth is, no matter how much we may agree together with what we heard, and I agree with you, you agree with me, right? You guys agree with what was said? We can agree, but we need the power of the Spirit of God to apply. And that's what we're asking for today. So go ahead, make your way around this auditorium, get with people, come together, get out of your your, uh, seat area, find someone you don't know, find someone that you don't normally go to church with, lock hands, and we'll start praying. Get in close. Get in close. Plenty of space still. You can back up against the doors even. Just make sure everybody can get in. May we all focus our hearts and minds as we seek the Lord in this hour. Father, I ask that your spirit would rest, rule, and reign upon us and within us in this moment. Father, heal us from past hurts. Lord, someone is harboring a spirit of bitterness because life has not panned out their way. Lord, there is anger among us. There is resentment. There is unforgiveness. There is selfishness. There is irreconciliation. But Father, we ask in this moment that it would not just be a song, but a reality that you would break every chain upon every heart. Whatever is restricting us from a pure worship experience with you, Lord God, flood our hearts with your love, with your richness, with your forgiveness, with your tender loving kindness. God, I am asking at this moment that we would be inextricably bound one to another, not just hand in hand, but head to head and heart to heart from home to home. We are seeking healing in this hour. Let us initiate a 
a movement, Lord God, where we would see our black and white brothers and sisters in just one body in Christ. Let us appreciate the diversity of what each of us has to offer and to know that you are above all and in all and through all because you have loved us, Lord God. Let us be revived. Yes. Let us be reborn. Let us be rewired in our thinking. Father, I heard in your spirit that some of us need to be deprogrammed from the lies and we need to be initiated in truth. Father, I thank you for your love that you are showering down into this sanctuary. I ask that you would use Faith Baptist to impact this Southern West Virginian community in a profound way. Cause them to explode with influence and with growth and with peace and with harmony. Father, to every saint who calls upon your name, I ask that you would answer their prayers, heal them where they're hurting, repair them where they have been broken down. Father, we know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So I'm asking you to touch each household represented here today so that the devil we saw yesterday, we will see him again no more forever in Jesus' name. My father, I echo what my brother has said, and I thank you for this opportunity. This is not something that Damon or myself came up with or manufactured. Father, there are no gimmicks here. This is truly a work from you. We acknowledge that. We admit that. And because it is a work from you and not from ourselves, that means we need your power to carry it out. So I pray that your spirit would fill every heart and every mind. Yes, God. I pray that you would delight in making what we started today continue and carry on. I pray that you would make this as big as you want it to be and help us just to ride the wave of what you do. Father, I pray that both of these assemblies, both bodies of believers, would act and function in such a way every moment of every day that the world looking in from the outside cannot get it out of their head what they see, a picture of unity that represents the unity that you have with your son Jesus. And may the purpose of the unity that Jesus prayed for be our purpose, which is to show the world that you did send Jesus one Savior, one Lord, for one remedy of one universal sin problem. May we proclaim that, and may we be empowered by your Spirit. We give you praise for what you've done today. We give you praise for what you will continue to do tomorrow and the day after. We give you ourselves in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Amen.